0: Welcome everyone to another episode of the Human Capital Institute's 9 to Thrive HR. I'm Alan Mellish and I'm your host. Before we get started, I want to remind everyone to rate and subscribe to the podcast on SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher Smart Radio, and anywhere you get your podcasts. Today's episode is brought to you by HCI Strategic Workforce Planning Certification Course. Learn more about that at hci.org forward slash swp. My guest today is Dr. Mark Allen. Mark is an educator, speaker, consultant, and author who specializes in talent management and corporate universities. In addition to teaching, at Pepperdine University's Graziado School of Business and Management. Mark is also a longtime member of HCI's faculty and delivers many of our certification courses. Mark, welcome to Nine to Thrive. Thanks, Alan. Glad to be here. Wonderful. So uh, let's get started right away. And without further ado, and for those who are unfamiliar with the term and the process, what is strategic workforce planning?
1: Well, uh, let me start by saying what it is not, because when people hear strategic workforce planning, the first things they think of are either headcount planning or succession planning. And uh, while those might be small parts of strategic workforce planning, put simply, strategic workforce planning is developing a plan to ensure you have the workforce to execute your strategy. And the way it differs from headcount planning is Headcount planning is typically thinking about the number of workers we're going to need for next year. Strategic workforce planning is connected to your strategy, so the timeline is different. Uh, An organization's strategic plan typically has a three- to five-year timeline, so a strategic workforce plan should have a three- to five-year timeline. So we're not just looking at next year's workforce, we're looking at ensuring that we have the workforce that we need over the timeframe of this strategy. The other area where it differs from headcount planning is headcount planning is about numbers, how many workers we will need next year. So it's really more of a financial planning exercise. We do it for budgetary reasons. We need to know how many workers so we can budget payroll. Strategic workforce planning is about both capacity and capabilities. Capacity is numbers of workers. Capability is skills and knowledge of your workforce. So we're planning ahead to ensure that not only we have enough people, but that they have the right skills over the three to five year time period. And the way this differs from succession planning is succession planning is about figuring out who's going to be able to fill certain spots and replace certain people. Strategic workforce planning, in that we're trying to ensure that we have the right workforce, focuses on roles, not people. So we look first at what are the strategic roles, those roles that most directly execute strategy. So to use a simple example, if you think of a hospital, there are literally hundreds of roles in a hospital. But since a hospital's primary purpose is to deliver health care, roles like nurses and doctors are the strategic roles. And if you think of it that way, when we do strategic workforce planning, we're looking to ensure that we have a pipeline of the right skills and the right numbers of doctors and nurses over the next several years. So you're looking at maybe hundreds of roles, whereas succession planning looks at individually at specific uh, people and who might replace them.
0: That, yeah, that's really helpful. And I think the, uh, by differentiating it from some of the other types of planning that we typically talk about in the HR world, uh, I think that is a, is a great way to clarify uh, uh, for somebody who's maybe a little bit less familiar with these topics. Um, so we've covered what it is and what it isn't. Now, why is strategic workforce planning important for organizations? It's not important. It's essential. <laughs> it's essential. Um, I've been teaching
1: HCI's strategic workforce planning course since it was introduced 10 or more years ago. And, um, when we started, it was a nice to have, it was a competitive advantage, maybe, uh, a luxury. Now it's absolutely essential because every strategic plan will have a financial plan. It will have a marketing plan, maybe a technology plan. You absolutely have to have a people plan. And the reason I say it's essential is a generation ago, when companies would have growth plans, they would plan on growing their revenue, and accompanying that would be some sort of plan for, if you're going to grow revenue, you need to grow headcount. And the assumption was always, when we need people, we'd find them. We would run a classified ad in the Sunday newspaper. Remember classified ads? I do, I do. (laughs) Do you remember remember newspapers? Because that used to be a thing. (laughs) (laughs) And it used to be you could basically, if you needed people, you could find them. Um, But um, about a year ago, we crossed a line where there are actually more open jobs in the United States than job seekers. There are more available jobs than people looking to fill those jobs. And of course, those who are job seekers, don't always have the right skills to plug in. So we have both a labor shortage and a skills shortage, which is why I'm saying it's essential. And it's it's only going to get worse, actually, because, you know, we talk a lot about millennials and you hear about millennials and invading our workforce with various traits. We don't talk enough about another group, a fine group called the baby boomers. And unlike millennials, where we talk about the traits they might have, baby boom. Is a demographic trend. And starting in 1946, there was a boom in the number of babies born in the U.S., um, which was not surprising. After the war, the soldiers came home and and babies were born. What was a little surprising is that boom continued for about 18 years. And during that time, there was an average of nearly four million babies born in the U.S. each year that translates to 10,000 babies a day, on average, every day for 18 years. And the reason that's so important is now that we're in the year 2020, uh, that first group of baby boomers from 1946 will all turn 74 this year, which means for the next 18 years, 10,000 Americans a day will turn 74. And at whatever age you think people retire from your organization, whether it's in their 60s or 70s, we're on the cusp of a mass exodus from the workforce where it looks like there'll be more people exiting the American workforce than entering. So you can't just assume the talent will be available. You have to have a plan for how you're going to find it, grow it and keep it.
0: Oh, yeah. Well, and I remember um, that a version of that statistic uh, a couple of years ago. It was say uh, 10,000 turning 65 every day. Uh, you know, obviously it carries over. But, um, and I think we all got, uh, at least in North America, we got a bit of breathing room because a lot of those, uh, in the wake of the financial crisis, a lot of uh, a lot of boomers were uh, were sticking around in the workforce a little bit longer than maybe they had planned because they were waiting for the market to improve and their retirement accounts to uh, recover a little bit. Those kinds of things. And, uh, and but you're you're quite right that uh, you know at a certain point we all do wish to at least reduce uh our, our workload from the standard 40 or 50 hours a week to to something a little bit more manageable if not exit the workforce entirely so um uh, so yeah it's a it's a huge problem
1: and you're you're absolutely right we got a little reprieve from the anticipated exodus with the financial crisis 10 or 12 years ago um but the economy's booming now those baby boomers are are even older, and you know, the last thing you want is for your workforce plan to be. Let's hope for a big recession, so our, our baby boomers <laughs> stick around. Yeah, and yeah. you know, regardless of the economy, um, I'm hopeful that you and I can do a 10 year anniversary of this podcast 10 years from now. At which point, I'll tell you, 10,000 Americans a day are turning 84
0: <laughs> <because>
1: people <laughs> people are living longer, and yeah. it's just you know, it has ramifications for healthcare but it especially has ramifications for our workforce.
0: It certainly does. So um, a really great discussion. Glad we went on that little jag. Um, in our research, uh, we found that high re- retention of high performers was a top priority for HR practitioners for the third year in a row, in fact. And and I was just on a webcast recently where we looked at that and it's number one. Everything else is, you know, cha- is swapped spots or jockeying for per- position. But this is number one, three years in a row. So how can organizations use strategic workforce planning to be more proactive about addressing turnover issues?
1: You know, that's a great question because once people really dive into thinking about doing workforce planning, the first thought is how do we attract talent? How do we hire the people we're going to need? How do we find people and bring them into the organization? Another part of workforce planning is talent development. How do we develop the people we need? And so people think around the idea of finding and developing talent to make sure you have the right number of bodies and the right amount of skills. But a crucial part of workforce planning is retention. Because as you look at either attrition through retirement or growth in terms of headcount, you're looking at a lot of organizations needing to think about bringing in a lot of people. But if you can reduce attrition, especially the normal attrition of of people leaving, every good person you keep is one less you need to hire. And so in some cases, the quickest way to solve for needing to hire a lot of people is simply trying to keep your people. And I actually went through this with an organization that I was doing workforce planning with, and it was a healthcare organization. And they were... Their strategic role, of course, was nurses and most specifically RNs, and they were looking to double the size of their organization within five years. So double revenue means double the number of patients you see, which means double the number of nurses you need. And they had about 100 RNs at the time and figured, well, five years from now, we'll need 200 RNs. That means we're going to need to hire about 100. And I said, wait a minute, you're going to have to hire 100 plus whatever attrition you have. What is your turnover among RNs? And they gave a shocking answer, which was, we don't know. And I gave a a non-shocking response, which was, well, you better know. You better find out. And it turns out their turnover was 34% per year. And so going from 100 to 200 nurses, and I ran the numbers for them, at 34 percent attrition, that would mean hiring 337 nurses over the next five years during a nursing shortage, and you're never going to hire your way out of that problem.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's practically um, uh, like fast food or, or uh, service numbers in terms of attrition.
1: Um, right.
0: That's I'm really shocking.
1: They were shocked not only at at their turnover rate, but at the fact that to go from 100 to 200 nurses, they would need to hire 337. And so, if you can fix turnover, that covers a big part of of your workforce planning. Um, And of course, people really struggle with retention. How do we retain our workers? Well, the short answer is you keep them happy. But the longer answer is we might not know a lot about retention, but we know exactly what causes turnover. And the top three things that cause turnover are bad managers, lack of opportunities for growth and development, and challenging and meaningful work. Um, And one thing that's shocking to me is 100% of organizations that I ask this question to answer affirmatively, do you have bad managers? And 100% Quickly say, yes, we have bad managers. Well, as long as you're putting people in the role who don't, who aren't really qualified for it. And as long as you're keeping them there, you're going to have turnover. People don't leave companies. They leave managers. And as long as we keep having bad managers, we're going to keep having turnover. So you want to solve for turnover? Don't have bad managers. Give people opportunities for growth and development and make sure they have challenging and interesting work. Absolutely.
0: So uh, shifting gears a little bit. Uh, you, you teach our strategic workforce planning course as we mentioned earlier. Um, uh, can you uh, give us a picture because you, see, you you see and hear from a lot of these organizations all the time as you've kind of, as you've kind of been alluding to. Where would you say most organizations are in their strategic workforce planning and analytics maturity? Uh, most
1: have gotten as far as being able to spell strategic workforce planning. <laughs> really, I mean, it's a, it's a bit of a biased sample in that people who are coming to HCI's strategic workforce planning class are there because they want to learn more about strategic workforce planning. But between that course and just talking to people outside, we're at the point where most organizations recognize the need for it. So they are coming in with the mindset, we've got to do something. Um, And some research from a few years ago shows that the biggest barrier to companies doing this is they don't have a methodology and they don't have tools. So they come to the class to really learn how to do it. Uh, There's some awareness of the need, but not a lot of awareness of how to do it.
0: Yeah, and, I, and 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 I would say that lines up in, in, with my more limited experience. Those are two of the big, really barriers to entry, as as you call them. And I guess where are people hoping to get, uh, or where I hope people hoping to get to in those areas in strategic workforce planning?
1: Yeah, they get a little scared at the beginning of the course because what I tell them is you basically need a workforce plan to ensure you have. The right capacity and the right capabilities over the next five years um, and they realize that's the need we've got to have that plan in place that will carry us through the duration of our organization's strategic plan um, what they realized by the end of, of the second day of the two-day class it's not that hard i mean it does require a lot of work and of course if you're most successful at this you complete a plan but you still have to execute on that plan. Um, And of course, you're trying to execute a five-year plan into a rapidly changing world. So it's it's not that easy to fully successfully plan and execute, but the actual creation of the plan involves a step-by-step process of going through what are the roles you need, what are the capabilities and capacities, and then looking at where you are now And so you define the gap between where you are and where you want to be. And then you have a pretty specific set of problems to solve.
0: Uh, yeah, absolutely. I think the, uh, and the way I, the way I think about the strategic workforce planning model in the course is it's not, it's not necessarily complicated, but it is hard to make it, to make it happen in real life. Um, It's
1: simple, but it's not easy.
0: Yes. There you go. Yeah. Very, very good. Better than I did. Um, So over the years that you've been teaching this course, um, what do you like most about teaching it? Uh, What reaction or interaction do you tend to get uh, that, that is most surprising or pleasing?
1: You know, it's, it's one of the most fun courses to teach because people come from so many different industries and, you know, you have people, aerospace, government, they've got a big baby boom problem where they're worried about the vast number of retirees. And yet young people currently aren't really going into fields like aerospace engineering or government work. Uh, And then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you have tech companies in Silicon Valley whose workforce is generally younger. They're not worried about baby boom retirees, but they are worried about the incredible competition for talent. And if you're looking in tech or software, yes, there are young people who are going into those fields, people with a lot of skills, but everybody wants to work for Google. Google gets over a million applications a year. And if your name isn't Google, how do you attract top talent? And if you're not in Silicon Valley, how do you attract top talent? So it's fascinating to see the different workforce challenges as you look at big companies, small companies, government, high tech, low tech, manufacturing. So as we look across industries, we see different challenges, and the challenges are unique, and I love addressing the challenges and helping participants come up with creative solutions to the various talent challenges they're facing.
0: Excellent. Okay. Um, Mark, what's the best way for people to stay up to date on what you're doing?
1: Uh, Best way is I occasionally write a blog on my website, markallenconsulting.com, And there I blog about talent issues and and what I'm hearing in our classes and in my Pepperdine classes and in my consulting. So, uh, yeah, by all means, feel free to check out my blog and see what's going on and what my latest thoughts are on talent management.
0: Well, Mark, thank you so much for your time. It's been a real pleasure having you on the podcast.
1: My pleasure, Alan. Thanks for having me.
0: Once again, if this discussion was of interest to you, take the next step and go to hci.org forward slash SWP to learn more about this course. And for all the ideas related to talent management and HR, check out the Human Capital Institute at hci.org. Don't forget to like us, rate us and subscribe to us wherever you get your podcasts. Until next time, I'm Alan Millish.